0: RedEye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6.
1: Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy, this is Red Eye Radio.
2: This is Red Eye Radio, and good evening, good morning to all of you. Thank you for being with Red Eye Radio. My name is Matt Murphy, and for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Gary and Eric taking a couple of days off. Spending some time with family and friends over the holiday season, and we're happy that they are able to do that. They'll be back in 2024, and I'll be with you for the duration tonight. Had a great time last night. Hope you did as well, and we've got a good show on tap for you this evening. Uh, we've lots to do, lots to get into, and there are a lot of stories to cover, particularly a lot of stories to cover regarding end-of-year type things. And we'll get into some of that a little bit later on in the show. But I want to start... Uh, after I introduce myself and get the pleasantries out of the way in the Middle East, as we did last evening, because there are new developments that you need to know about. Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas, uh, few days. I mean, and maybe some of you are still spending some time off for the, uh, for the Christmas holiday. If that's the case, uh, then thank you for spending some time with us on Red Eye Radio. You're invited to be a part of the show. About uh, dialing up 866 red eye that's eight six six nine zero seven thirty three thirty nine. That's the way to communicate with the show. You can also find me on social media. Let me tell you a little about myself. If you missed any of the program last night, by the way, uh, it is available for your perusal at com. That's com. The full five hours are up and running, RedEyeRadioShow.com. So I uh, originate out of Nashville, Tennessee. Normally I'm heard from noon until 3, daily, Monday through Friday on Supertalk 99.7 WTN. You can find us at 99.7 WTN.com. That's 99.7 WTN.com. You can find me on social media. I land mostly on the X machine, formerly known as Twitter. And my handle is at Matt Murphy show there. That's at Matt Murphy show. Every story, just about. I won't say every story because I don't like to lie to you. But just about every story that we cover will be found on my social media pages, primarily on the X machine. You can go over there, you look, and there will be a link to a story that I've discussed uh, over the course of the evening on Red Eye Radio, or morning as the case may be. Uh, first story of um, of the day comes from the Middle East, and it, it's a development that is concerning to me, and maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only guy noticing that there is a slow but steady escalation in terms of vi- in, in terms of violence, in terms of military engagement, and in terms of potential military action against the United States of America and our enemies in the Middle East. A U.S. Navy vessel fired anti-ship ballistic missiles yesterday against incoming Iranian-backed Houthi missiles in the Red Sea, which is a, a signal that there is a certain level of es- escalation going on in the region not just against the israelis i mean obviously we've seen that in that region of the world but against the united states of america because of our support of the state of israel this according to a senior defense official and according to fox news a navy the navy i should say engaged three ballistic missiles provided by uh, to yemen's houthis by iran it was the first time the navy shot down an incoming ballistic missile using an anti-ballistic missile ship In other words, naval assets are now being utilized in a broader engagement in the Middle East. And I don't want to, during this time of celebration, scare the heck out of people to suggest that this might ramp up at the end of 2023 into 2024 into something uncontrollable by us and undefinable as anything other than a military conflict in the Middle East. But what else would you call it? So we'll discuss the details of this and what it might mean as we end 2023 and move into 2024, at the beginning of the show today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Eight six six ninety, Red Eye. We yesterday had a conversation about the latest United Nations vote that did not did not go so far as to call for a ceasefire, because obviously any level of ceasefire would include demanding that Hamas return the hostages to the state of Israel. The United States of America continues to offer. I would say more than tepid support. I don't know that Joe Biden knows his butt from a hole in the ground on a day-to-day basis. But I do believe that the administration understands that our greatest friend in that region of the world is Israel. And we must do everything in our power to help our friend navigate the terrorist attack that happened to them on on October 7th. So we do that. And in kind the Muslim groups, the various Muslim groups in that region of the world, are responding by attacking American military installations. We discussed this yesterday, some of the attacks happening at the hands of Iranian-backed militant organizations. In this case, these are actual military armaments that are being shot down by our anti-ship ballistic missiles, naval assets, including the USS Laboon, and the F-A-18 Super Hornets from the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group shot down 12 one-way attack drones, three anti-ship ballistic missiles, and two land attack missiles fired by the Houthis over a 12-hour period, according to U.S. Central Command. Nearly a 100 drones. This is all of this happening since yesterday, since we last spoke on Right Eye Radio. Nearly a 100 drones operated by the Houthis have been shot down since October 17th. The group has attacked more than 21 international vessels in the region, which has disrupted global shipping in that region and disrupted day-to-day operations for the United States and our American vessels. To wit, the Swiss-based Mediterranean shipping company, according to Fox News, said that its container ship, MSC United Nine, was attacked while en route from King Abdullah Port in Saudi Arabia to Pakistan, or as Barack Obama used to call it, Pakistan. Currently, all crew are safe. No reported injuries, and a thorough assessment of the vessel is being introduced, according to the statement. Attacks in the Red sea, Red sea have obviously soared since October 7th, since the terrorist attack, the evil attack by Hamas against the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Major shipping companies, including Denmark-based Marsk, have been avoiding the Red Sea, shipping their sh- uh, shipping their uh, Uh, their containers around Africa and the Cape of Good Hope as opposed to going across the Red Sea, adding cost and delays. So this is not only a military and an international entanglement with worldwide implications. It also has worldwide economic uh, economic implications with regard to the number of – the amount of commerce that's going on in that region of the world and and the idea that many of these countries wanting to avoid any conflict and avoid having their ships attacked – have made the decision to go to other parts of the globe in order to get their ships from point A to point B. I fear a military engagement along these lines, especially with this commander-in-chief. Oh, by the way, and you're probably wondering, I lead the show with this today. I explain to you that perhaps while you were sleeping or before you go to bed, all of this has been going on overseas, half a world away, in the Middle East. The escalations continue. It, It... It's a slow drip. It's just a slow creep. And I fear that we've seen this in American history before, where slowly but surely we find ourselves creeping into conflict. Once again, I don't want to overstate the case that we are slowly but surely slow walking into a military engagement, not with Hamas, for heaven's sake. Hamas wouldn't exist but for Iran. Iran is the country that I'm more concerned about. And then by extension, obviously, there's always a concern that we will further entangle ourselves in the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. And that will lead to, ultimately, if both happen simultaneously, God forbid, it would be something of a two-front conflict at that stage. And I don't believe this commander-in-chief could handle a one-front conflict. I don't think this commander-in-chief... Can't handle tying his shoes, pulling his pants up by himself. Oh, but Joe Biden has made a statement about all of this. Let's listen as the president of the United States makes a statement regarding the escalation of tensions in the Middle East. Well, there you go. There's Joe Biden and his day. He said nothing. He's on vacation. He's on vacation. Now, I understand that a president of the United States, I, I try to be reasonable, and I understand. I know you didn't hear it. You didn't hear it because it didn't happen. That's the point, Brian. There was no statement. Brian Kane concerned that you did not hear the commentary by Joe Biden. The fact is there was no commentary by Joe Biden. Joe Biden has said nothing about any of these escalations. Oh, he gave a few mealy-mouthed responses to questions asked before he boarded Marine One to go off to Camp David. Went off to Camp David, came back to Washington, D.C. yesterday, and today is leaving for a week-long vacation in the U.S. Virgin Islands because, you know, the guy has to have his rest. He's done so much for us. And he's done so much for the Israelis overseas. Now, some would suggest that he is working behind the scenes diligently to see a successful end to the conflicts in the Middle East. I'll believe it when I actually see it. Now, in the meantime, Joe Biden and his crackerjack staff, his administration, they've decided that the world is stable enough. Everything's a okay, right? In the world, uh, we've got no conflicts going on in the Middle East. That's all good. Everything seems to be going swimmingly with Ukraine and Russia. Nothing to nothing to see on American soil either, as we discussed last night, and it will be a major topic of conversation today as well. Uh, nothing to worry about on the southern border front. Uh, so the president of the United States has decided to take yet another in a lengthy list of vacation days just to recharge the batteries. You know how it goes. I mean, the guy is... guys 81 years old after all 86690 red eye that's 86690 red eye if you have thoughts on this the escalation i don't want to once again don't want to overstate it don't want to scare people just as you're you're getting up and about or just before bed but the engagement came after three u.s service members were killed in iraq on christmas day so you've got Engagement in Iraq, you have engagement from Iran and from the Houthis, who are backed by Iran. The Christmas Day attack happened when terrorists in Hezbollah, an Iranian proxy, attacked an air base. One of the injured was in critical condition. In response, as we told you yesterday, U.S. forces conducted airstrikes on three facilities utilized by Hezbollah and attack groups in Iraq. That was according to the U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. This is an entirely different attack, a different engagement with regard to some of our anti-air defense ships having to defend airspace from drones and other missile attacks being launched ultimately by Iran. A new development in that region of the world that scares the hell out of me. With Because I don't believe that we have a commander-in-chief that can make reasonable or sensible decisions. I think that he leaves this into the hands of the military-industrial complex. And the military-industrial complex, they're good at what they do, but they are hammers. And all they see are nails. Without regard for whether or not it is in America's best interest, necessarily, to slow-walk ourselves into military entanglements that I don't believe our commander-in-chief has the wherewithal or the intelligence to get us out of. 86690 Red Eye, 866907-3339. Coming in hot on Red Eye Radio. It's Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric on Red Eye Radio.
3: This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Electrical systems are one of the most common causes of winter breakdowns. So when your batteries talk, it's important you listen. Know the warning signs that could indicate your electrical system needs attention to help avoid getting stuck out in the cold this winter. Keep an eye out for lights that are dim, as this is an early warning sign that your alternator is degrading and near the end of its life cycle. Lights that are brighter than normal, on the other hand, can indicate your alternator is overcharging. You should immediately get a full electrical system check if you notice either of these warning signs.
1: Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
0: And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden you gotta yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel Six? Book online at motelsix.com. Use the code CPREDEye to get fifteen percent off your stay at Motel Six or Studio Six. With almost fifteen hundred locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel Six or Studio Six nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code Eye. that's the letters CP Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6
2: In for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, it is Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio. Thank you so much for being with us. Eight six six ninety red eye is the telephone number. You're always invited to turn a monologue into a dialogue. That's what I like to call it on my radio show back in Nashville, Tennessee. That's my home base on Supertalk 99.7 WTN. I appreciate you tuning into that. If you so desire, 99.7 WTN.com is where you can find out more about me. You can also find me on social media at Matt Murphy Show, M-A-T-T-M-U-R-P-H-Y. SHOW at Matt Murphy show uh, for more information and give me a follow if you so desire. We're also on other forms of social media. I am primarily on the X machine, formerly known as Twitter. So the, the question then becomes, as we watch escalation happening in the Middle East on a number of fronts, where do we go from here? The United States of America. I do not believe that the United States of America's interest is in entangling ourselves from a military perspective any further in a military operation in the Middle East. Yes, we need to be there for support, material support most certainly, uh, for the uh, nation of Israel. Obviously, we are supporting Israel and have for a long time monetarily. I do not know that that is economically sustainable for the United States of America, considering we're $34 trillion in debt, which is the greatest existential threat this country faces that no one wants to talk about. I've heard Eric, er- Eric and Gary I discuss this on a regular basis when I have opportunity to catch red eye radio and you regulars of red eye radio know it well know it well sadly we like to talk show hosts love to talk about the 34 trillion dollars that we are in debt and why we're in so much debt because we have so many so much money going to foreign governments and some of it is much needed by said foreign governments and I'm not suggesting that Israel is not in need of material support by the United States of America But at some point, if you don't want to fail to exist as a country, you have to look at your own interests first as opposed to the interest of other nations. But that aside, I understand we'll continue to monetarily support the state of Israel for the foreseeable future, especially considering what they have in front of them. And they have a long and bloody battle ahead of them. Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday set out some priorities as to what Israel would look at as key checkpoints in terms of battling Hamas and winning the conflict that they started, one should remind you. A ceasefire was in place between Hamas and the IDF up until such time as Hamas attacked and killed innocent Israelis. They slaughtered Jews indiscriminately, the worst slaughter of the Jewish people since the Holocaust in World War II. Committed by Hamas on October 7th, not three months ago, October to November, November to December, December. Yeah, not three months ago, this slaughter occurred. One wonders if the military industrial complex and the powers that be behind Joe Biden do not understand that this is necessary leading into 2024. I had a conversation about this On my radio show in Nashville yesterday. In which I suggested that one of the ways that Joe Biden avoids the disastrous economy in an election year. One of the ways the Democrats avoid his disastrous polling numbers in an election year. One of the ways that we avoid discussing how he has been a disaster as a president in an election year. Is to rally the United States of America behind a global conflict. Does Joe Biden need war? I think Jake in Ohio is going to speak to that here in just a moment. I don't have the time to do it right now, Jake, but hang in there. Your call's on Red Eye Radio at eight six six ninety It is possible, not from Biden himself, any time that I reference the Biden administration or Joe Biden as president of the United States, understand something. I don't believe that Joe Biden could tell his butt from a hole in the ground. I don't believe that Joe Biden could find his feet with a compass and a flashlight. I'm saddened to tell you that, but I believe it wholeheartedly. I do think that there are puppet masters that are pulling the strings. I think these people are a part and parcel of an extension of the Biden or rather the Obama administration to include individuals like Susan Rice and Valerie Jarrett. To include David Axelrod, perhaps, although Axelrod has kind of gone off the reservation in as much as he's suggesting that Joe Biden should not run for president again, because I think Axelrod sees the writing on the wall. Does Joe Biden need a war? And if that if that's the case, is that behind this? We'll discuss. It is Red Eye Radio. Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric. Back in a moment.
1: Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America News. Now for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy.
2: Thank you so much, Mr. Voice Guy. Gary, Eric, taking the week off. They'll be back in 2024. I'm with you tonight and this morning. Red Eye Radio, 86690 Red Eye, discussing the escalation in the conflict in the Middle East on two fronts. One happening in Iraq, that was yesterday. Today's escalation happening against, uh, well, essentially. Iran and proxies for Iran uh, with a number of warships having to shoot down drones and the like. We're discussing it. Um, I got squirreled during the break. I read this headline and I'll share this story with you after we take a few telephone calls on the subject of conflict in the Middle East and whether or not this politically benefits Joe Biden. I hate to be so cold hearted about it, but it is true that war galvanizes a presidency and war causes the American population, or at least it has historically, to forgive other issues within a presidency. Is that the case with Joe Biden? Is the Joe Biden administration willing to allow the United States of America to get into conflicts that we ought not get into to politically benefit himself? Is the question. 86690 Red Eye. But what has squirreled me, I call it squirreling, from the movie, what was it? Up, I guess. Indiana man, this is the headline, Indiana man rescued from a car wreck after surviving six days trapped in his crushed vehicle. Thanks to good Samaritans. I'll give you the details coming up in just a couple of minutes on Red Eye Radio. In the meantime, Jake has a thought or two regarding the conflict in the Middle East and how politically this could benefit the Biden administration. Jake, thanks for your call. Good evening. Good morning.
5: Morning, Matt. Uh, I just think that this administration's uh, facilitated and financed these two wars to create uh, an excuse for the upcoming collapse of our economy. You know, you look at the BRICS, uh, where they're not using they they're not the petrodollar's done. The world uh, dollar is no longer uh, the world. Uh, uh, the, the world's not using the dollar as currency, uh, and they're just looking to get to digital currency, to control us like they do in Canada and uh, Europe. Uh, And that is this whole thing, in my opinion, in a nutshell.
2: How does this get us to digital
5: currency, in your opinion? Well, if the economy collapses, uh, well, that's what they're going to want. I don't think that we're going to go for it. Uh, You know, who's going to believe them at that point? Who's going to believe in a bank at that point? Uh, they're going to have to go back to gold and silver. Uh, they're going to have to go back to the Constitution for anybody to believe them. Uh, but that's what they want. Uh, they want to create chaos.
2: Yeah, I, I think it might be above, and I appreciate the concept and the thought, Jake. And, and it, I mean, it's a good conversation starter. I, I think the concept of moving us from actual... You know, the monetary policy that we currently have to a, a to a digital style current currency is above the pay grade of the Biden administration. I hate to put it that way, but I believe it. Now, I understand that there are nefarious actors embedded within the the Obama administration that have access to and perhaps are controlling elements of the Biden administration. I believe that Obama has taken a hands off approach himself because he sees failure written all over this administration However, he would love nothing more than to see Biden secure a second term and ultimately have to acquiesce to someone who considers herself a protege of Barack Obama. And that's Kamala Harris. And she would be a willing accomplice in the ultimate goal of transforming the United States of America. And I think part of that is centralizing control of our monetary system through things like digital currencies. I don't disagree with that concept. I do not believe that Joe Biden is necessarily in control of any of that. I do think that there are controlling interests within the Biden administration that would love to see that. I just don't understand or I don't see how further entanglement to create economic uncertainty would ensure a second term for Joe Biden. I believe that military entanglement would further galvanize amongst the American people that this dude does not know what he is doing at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. There's just, there's too much ineffective and wrongheaded behavior for us to have any confidence that he's the guy that can steadily lead us through military conflict. Now, if your point, Jake, is to say that this would the military conflict side of things would create domestic unrest to the point that we see further economic collapse where we already have very shaky footing i can agree with that i don't necessarily think that translates to digital currency that is a couple of steps away from me but thank you for your call 86690 red eye 86690 Red Eye. I want to get this story. is um, This story is fascinating to me, and i I just squirreled it, and I want to pull it up. Indiana man. I mean, this. I'll tell you, it's an incredible story of survival, and it it, it is. It, well, a pair of Indiana fishermen made a life saving catch Tuesday, yesterday, I guess, when they spotted a car wreck with the driver still trapped inside and clinging to life after crashing nearly a week earlier. A week earlier. Indiana state authorities call it a miracle that the unidentified man was still alive after his car went off the highway and rested under a bridge on I-94 last Wednesday. First responders rushed to rescue the man around 3.45 yesterday afternoon after a hero's, man by the name of Navardo De La Torre, And his father-in-law, Mario Garcia, saw the vehicle near a creek as they searched for suitable fishing holes. According to reports, the shininess of the car caught their eye through the wooded area. One of the men poked his head into the car where he saw the man's body, believing that the man was dead. Now, here's the point where it becomes a scene out of a movie, and I would freak out or poop my pants or something. Garcia said, I thought the man was dead. I went to touch it, and he turned around. Uh Uh-uh. No way. At a press conference streamed by ABC7 Chicago, he said it almost killed me because it was kind of shocking. He was alive. He was very happy to see us. He was like, I've I've never seen relief like that in my life. He says that he tried yelling and screaming, but nobody would hear him. It was quiet, just the sound of the water. Looking at some of the, uh, the scene, some of the photos, Indiana State authorities calling it a miracle, Looking at some of the photos, it is indeed a miracle that this man survived. The victim was pinned inside of his seat, could not reach his cell phone following the crash. The two good Samaritans called 911, stayed by his side until first responders arrived. Emergency crews cut the man out, who was in his 20s, out of the wreckage with heavy machinery, airlifted him to South Bend Memorial Hospital in critical condition, potentially life-threatening injuries. Their rescue efforts took many hours due to the difficult terrain and the way the driver was trapped inside of the mangled vehicle what an incredible story of survival a miracle that he's alive in this weather we're lucky enough that our temperatures have been moderate during the Christmas season once again this is in Indiana according to Indiana State Police Sergeant Glenn Fifield during a press conference that was working in this individual's favor last um, last year we had freezing cold so what an incredible story that I just noticed and squirreled on uh, for just a moment pardon me as I digress Speaking of um, speaking of stories of digression, I want to go back to a story yesterday we were discussing because I don't like to misinform you, the Red Eye Radio listening audience. And I misspoke yesterday on the show, and I want to correct something that I said. It was in regard to our border security issues in the United States, and we, we went over – How the Biden administration avoids discussing the very real and tangible evidence of a dereliction of duty on the part of Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and others within the Biden administration charged with the duty of keeping America safe and protecting America's sovereignty through our border security. They have abdicated their duties in that regard. The evidence is lengthy that they have done so. And they defend it by deflecting to immigration policy. Anytime you bring up border security, they deflect, as we discussed last evening. they You ask them, is the border secure? They say yes, and they move on to talk about their concepts of immigration policy and how they've tried to change immigration policy, and the Republicans won't allow them to do so. Immigration policy and border security are two different things. Well, I gave you some statistics Yesterday regarding the number of border crossings and how we are reaching historic levels. And I mentioned that we have seen more border crossings in the last month, in the month of November, the last month that we have data for it, according to the Department of Homeland Security. And I said that these were more border crossings than we've seen in any month in American history. 191 illegal immigrant crossings in the Southwest, plus another 51,000 illegal alien crossings, uh, other unauthorized migrants who showed up demanding entry. Some of them welcomed under Joe Biden's quote unquote parole program, which promises catch and release, which didn't happen under the Trump administration. But I mentioned that This November figure was the largest figure in American history, only followed by October, which was the largest total previously in American history. And I was wrong. And I want to correct the record. Those two months do not reach the levels that we saw in September. And I went back and made sure that my research was correct. And I found out that I was in error. And we like to correct the errors here on Red Eye Radio. But we are on pace, never you fear. Even though November and October did not break the record set in September of 2023, that record was at 269,735 illegal alien border crossings. By the way, these are only the ones that we know about. Obviously, the ones we don't know about, we don't know about, so you can't put those in the number. The majority of those that are now crossing are crossing into Arizona through the Tucson sector. According to CBP sources, 60,000 plus have entered through Texas in the Del Rio sector. That's Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass, of course, you might remember Eagle Pass is the location where the Biden administration decided that it was in their best interest to stop allowing news organizations from flying drones so as to show the sheer numbers of individuals that are flooding into these areas of the country from the South. So number one, September. Number two, November. Number three, October of this year, the three Biggest months in terms of raw numbers of illegal alien border crossings. And the expectation is December of this year will surpass all three of those. So you have four of four of the top months in the history of the United States of America with regard to illegal alien crossings. But the Biden administration says, move along. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. In the meantime, it's only getting started. We're only getting warmed up. Because the largest migrant caravan on record is heading this way. I'll tell you about it in just a moment. It is Red Eye Radio in for Eric and Gary. It's Matt Murphy, eight six six ninety 90 red eye 866 red eye Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio.
1: Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
2: is red eye radio no gary no eric but matt murphy attempting to do my best to uh, replicate what they managed to do on a nightly basis monday through friday on red eye radio and what a great job those two do much deserved rest and relaxation going on in their lives they'll be back in 2024 866 90 red eye is the telephone number if you so desire to turn a monologue into a dialogue you may do so by dialing that number i mentioned this massive migrant caravan that's making its way through Mexico to the U.S. border. It is the largest such caravan in more than a year. Now, there have been plenty of these throughout the Biden administration. The horde of migrants, primarily from Cuba, Haiti, and Honduras, set off for the United States this past Sunday. They walked more than nine miles from the Mexican southern border city of Tapachula. An estimated 8,000 asylum seekers are currently en route. The expectation is that the exodus will grow to more than 15,000 people carrying signs reading exodus from poverty. They expect to reach the southern border in a number of weeks. The images of the caravan are dramatic. The influx of new migrants threatens to further strain the United States and an already overburdened border patrol and southern border. There have been just... For what it's worth, and I assume you already know these numbers, seven well, we've been going over them, 730,000 migrant encounters at the southern border since October 1st. Those are encounters. And if you are coming into the United States of America and planning to do so illegally, why wouldn't you just present yourself to the Border Patrol, which is what most of them are doing now? It doesn't behoove you to try to get around them. You just go to them, say, hey, how are you doing? Get some paperwork and move on. It is Red Eye Radio in for Gary and Eric. I am Matt Murphy. Plenty to go when we return. A stabbing in New York City that you'll want to hear about. That's coming up next. Top
3: of the hour news is brought to you by House Products.
1: This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the UNIDEN America studios. For Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy, this is Red Eye Radio.
2: This is Red Eye Radio, Matt Murphy, and for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, pleased to be a part of your evening or your morning, whatever the case may be. And I would invite you to be a part of ours, 866-90 Red Eye. That's 866-907-3339. If you desire to turn uh, that proverbial monologue into a dialogue, we would appreciate that. I normally emanate from Nashville. Well, I am from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, and I normally am heard from noon until three on Super Talk 997 WTN. You're invited to be a part of my world by going over to 997 WTN.com, finding out a little more about me. You can also follow me on social media, at Matt Murphy Show, on a variety of platforms. Most often you can find me on uh, the platform formerly known as Twitter. I call it the X Machine, at Matt Murphy Show. Any of the stories that I reference on the show tonight, uh, you can find links to said stories on my platform there on Twitter. A deranged attacker assaulted two individuals in New York City on Christmas morning. I want to tell you this story in a way of introducing a topic that we've heard far too often in 2023. And really, in modern America, our major cities run largely by Democrats have become absolute hellscapes, dystopian hellscapes. And sadly, it's only getting worse. And until some citizens of these same cities demand more and better of individuals that they elect into positions of prominence, I am sad to tell you that you're going to see more and more and more of this happening in New York City, in places like, I mean, you know the usual, Philadelphia. I mean, well, but it's not exclusively to those cities that we call out by name anytime we have these topics come up, like Baltimore, Maryland, or Detroit, Michigan, or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or, you know, pick your city out in California, the left coast, It has come to places like Nashville, Tennessee, for example, and I'll have an example of that in just a moment. My former hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, it's there as well as more and more cities run largely by Democrats see more and more crime because they have decided that a soft on crime approach behooves them at the polls and to hell with the citizens in their homes or in their places of business. This deranged man stabbed two teenage girls who were attempting to enjoy a Christmas morning meal with their parents at Grand Central Terminal Restaurant. He did so after ranting to the service staff that he wanted to, well, he wanted to kill all white people. He said he, all, he wanted all white people dead. The girls, 14 and 16 respectively, visiting from South America, were attacked at a Grand Central dining concourse restaurant called Tartinery around 1125 Monday, suffered non-life-threatening stab wounds, according to police. The suspect, Stephen Hutchinson, or Hutcherson, I should say, Stephen Hutcherson, 36, allegedly screamed, I want all white people dead. According to police sources, he also demanded that he wanted to, I want to sit next to the crackers, end quote. He lunged at the unsuspecting teenagers, plunged a knife into the 16-year-old's back, nicking her lung, stabbed the younger girl in her thigh, police and law enforcement say. Hutcherson, whose police, who police officers and sources say had a slew of prior arrests, I'm going to get more into his history in just a moment, also had a history of mental health issues, had come to the restaurant, demanded to be seated at a table. When asked if he was planning on ordering anything, he told the restaurant staff no. He refused to order anything but demanded to be sat. He allegedly then became irate and pointed to the victim's families, arguing that they were not eating anything at the time. Although the two girls were eating, they had other family members that were not. He then went off, grabbed a knife, and attacked the girls. Thank God there were transit police officers nearby. They rushed over in less than a minute. Hutcherson had dropped the knife. He surrendered to authorities. Everyone was running, said a veteran MTA employee who witnessed the incident and called the scene chaotic. Well, obviously, I'm sure it was. This man is now facing attempted murder. He's also facing hate crime charges after the two teenage girls, as I mentioned, visiting from South America, were stabbed Christmas morning. I wish that this were an isolated case. Certainly it is not. Sadly, major American cities are becoming places where we don't want to go. I have, uh, I've been in a lot. I've been around the United States of America. I have, uh, I've had the blessing and the pleasure of visiting a lot of different cities. I have not visited several major cities out in California. It was 15, 20 years ago. A bucket list item for me. I The furthest west I have gotten is Nevada. Never been to California. I'm 50 years of age. Never been to California. I've been to most every other. I've been, I don't know. I, I did the math at one point. It was like 30 states out of the 50. Uh, I've never really gotten to the left coast. California, Oregon, and Washington state are three states that I've never been to. I have no desire to go. No desire to go. And I'm saddened to say it. My lack of desire is based solely on a lack of what I perceive to be public safety in these areas, based on the stories that we read over and over and over again. At some point, I'm convinced. I throw my hands up and say, no, the Golden Gate Bridge is not that important to me. Thank you very much. Why are major American cities becoming what I would refer to as dystopian hellscapes. Well, there's a couple of reasons. There is a concerted effort. George Soros and his organization, they have funneled money into electing district attorneys in these major cities that are soft on crime, and I would argue, it's not a conspiracy theory, it is an argument, an evidence-based argument that these DAs are being placed in these major cities for the purpose of a soft-on-crime approach to create civil unrest in these major American cities, to create a dynamic by which the United States can be transformed in a more centralized or socialized government. And I believe that. But moreover, this, um, this statement, this guy who was screaming that he wanted white people dead, while we could we could call this what it seems to be, and that is a deranged individual who should have been locked behind bars but wasn't, he has a rap sheet as long as your arm, I would mention to you that there are several that are now saying that they are outraged that this guy is even out of jail at all. A man by the name of Yousef Abdullah, 46 years of age, said, told the New York Post he was outraged that when he learned that Hutcherson had been cut loose by a Bronx judge just two weeks before he allegedly randomly knifed a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old that I just told you about on Christmas morning. They shouldn't have let him out of jail. I don't believe it, he told the New York Post. Abdullah uh, said that his November 7th run-in with Hutcherson was the most dangerous encounter that he had had since he moved from Ghana to the United States in 2008, been working outside of a freight truck depot, when he said he saw Hutcherson allegedly attacking a woman. Hutcherson, homeless with a lengthy rap sheet and a history of mental illness, suddenly turned his ire on Abdullah, yelling, why are you working for white people? I'm going to kill this man. I'm going to shoot you. I don't care what kind of green card the government gave you, Hutcherson said, according to the criminal complaint against him. Open your mouth and say something. I will shoot you right now. This guy was put in jail and let out of jail subsequently. And I would. I would promise you he paid no bond because that is the way that they do it in New York now. In many American cities around the United States, individuals that create threatening environments or make direct threats to others or attack other people are allowed to be released without bond. People like this should be behind bars. How do you solve these types of issues Outside of putting people like this behind bars. Do we have a mental illness problem in the United States? Of course we do. Most certainly we do. But we have we have a jail problem. We have a prison problem in the United States. We have district attorneys that are not prosecuting multiple offenders. And you see this over and over and over again. So you have someone who demonstrated a desire to, quote, kill white people was allowed out of jail after threatening this individual, Abdullah. Said when Abdullah tried to walk into the workshop where he worked, he said the unhinged man blocked his path, showed him what appeared to be a gun tucked into his waistband. He pulled a gun on me. He said, I don't care what kind of green card you have. I'm going to shoot you right now. Hutcherson stormed away, sucker punched another man just one block away. Less than 30 minutes later, he was arrested at a nearby gas station, The police charged him with criminal possession of a weapon, menacing harassment and assault. Police did not recover a gun, but found a knife on him when they arrested him, according to law enforcement sources. Hutcherson pleaded guilty to third degree assault. A misdemeanor was sentenced to conditional discharge on December 7th or rather, pardon me, December 12th by Judge Matthew Greco, according to court records. was sentenced to conditional discharge. In other words, they let him go. They let him go. I want to discuss this concept of attacking individuals because of their whiteness. And I believe that this is the result of a narrative that has been created by the woke culture, where you have, and I've listened to Gary and Eric enough that I've heard them speak on this, You have this oppressed and oppressor dynamic that is being pushed by identity politics believers in which you have to have an oppressor in order to have an oppressed. You have to collect groups of oppressed people in order to get them convinced enough to vote for you. And it's largely leftist and Democrats that are doing this. Well, in creating this dynamic of the oppressed and oppressor, they have created this concept of people of color, quote unquote. You notice we didn't talk about this people of color idea until several years ago. Now we're lumping everyone that's not white in groups together. Why? Why are we doing that? If but to separate whiteness and to create a dynamic by which the white person, whoever they are, whatever their background, they are perceived as the enemy. This idea, this narrative got into this guy's head. This mentally deranged person's head, he believes, sadly, because of the narrative force fed to him by many in mainstream America, in the mainstream media in the United States of America and leftist narratives, he's being force fed a concept that white people are the enemy. And it's not just the mentally deranged that are beginning to believe all of this. This is serving to divide the United States of America into groups based on skin color, something that I thought we had gotten beyond many, many years ago. Something that I thought that we were fighting to repair as a part of American history. Now the political left is seeking to reinsert racial division and creating a dynamic by which they would suggest to you that white people, regardless of their background, White people, regardless of where they came from and what their social and economic circumstances might have been, that they have privilege and they are the oppressors of every other person of color, quote unquote. Now, you know, forget the fact that white is a color as well. This narrative falls apart with any any deconstruction of it. Yet there it is, and I believe that this is part and parcel of why you're seeing these types of attacks. And these attackers are specific, they're declaring why they're doing it. I wanna see white people dead, said the attacker. You could chalk this up to mental illness, and I am certain that mental derangement and potentially drug use, all of that's a part of this dynamic. This individual should be behind bars, and sadly, the city of New York does not see fit to put people in place, district attorneys in place, that would put individuals like this behind bars. And sadly, you have government officials that have created a further... Well, I'll get into that in just a moment. It's 20 after the hour. I'm seeing I'm late. For Gary and Eric, it's Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio. Brought to you by FPPF, Fuel Power Max.
3: Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. Costs are not the same each month. If 9,600 miles are driven one month and 10,000 miles the next, two different sets of costs apply for each month. For example, if your tractor payment is $1,850 per month and you drive 9,600 miles in the month, your tractor payment is costing you 19.3 cents per mile. Drive 10,000 miles, though, and that same payment will cost you 18.5 cents per mile. This is one of your major fixed costs while paying off a truck loan. The difference in this example is only a fraction of a cent, which may seem like small change, but it ultimately amounts to $960 more annually on the bottom line. Because though fixed costs do not go down over time, you can reduce your cost per mile with more paid miles. Brought to you by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance.
1: Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
2: Gary, Eric, they have the week off. Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your evening or your morning, as the case may be. Eight six six ninety red eye is the telephone number if you'd like to get involved in the conversation. What do you do about American cities that have turned into what I would describe as dystopian hellscapes? I mean, akin to some scene out of a movie, Blade Runner or something or another. What do you do about these places? Well, I don't know that there's any coming back from said places, but I would say this. Sadly, what you see is American flight from many of these communities that we discussed last segment. You know, places like San Francisco, Los Angeles, other parts of California, fleeing to other parts of the country. We have a lot of them coming into where I call home base in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville has been a, um, a, a, a draw point. I mean, there have been people, I think I saw... A statistic that in Nashville, Tennessee, over the last two years, an average of almost 100 people per day have moved into the metropolitan region. And a lot of them come from places like California and other major metropolitan areas from around the country. Reasonable people recognize the dangers of leftist political policy, and so they flee from it. But sadly, what do they bring with them when they come to these communities that they desire to be in? They bring their leftist political policies with them, and they bring a desire to change. I'll tell you a quick story that happened in my adopted hometown of Nashville that fascinates me because it demonstrates this dynamic perfectly. When I tell you this story, and I'll do so right after the what we call the bottom of the hour, I don't have enough time during this segment. When I tell you this story, I don't know that you will believe it because it is so atypical of a liberal individual fleeing a condition created by liberals that they voted for, that they elected, fleeing to another part of the country where you don't have any of those conditions, and then immediately attempting to change the circumstances of where they go to create a more liberal community. Why in the world would you run from something, and then when you set base camp up in a new community, immediately begin the process of putting the thing that you fled from in place in the community that you fled to. It makes no sense to me. But it's not just major American cities that are becoming like this. In the state of Alabama, a state that I lived in for roughly 20 years, I hail originally from Georgia, lived in Alabama for about 20 years before moving to Nashville several years ago. Alabama is considering a law in their state legislature that would create specific legislation to deal with porch pirates. Porch pirates, individuals stealing items, Amazon and other delivered items, off of people's porches. They're doing so because... The stealing has gotten so rampant in the rural communities, not just in urban areas. More on this in just a moment. I'll tell you that story about California flight to Tennessee coming up in a moment for Gary and Eric. It's Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio.
1: Red Eye Radio, from the Uniden America Studios. Now, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy.
2: It is Matt Murphy. It is Red Eye Radio. Thank you to Gary and Eric, and thank you so much to Brian Allen and the rest of the crew back at home base for making this such an easy task to be able to spend some time with you, and I certainly appreciate all of you listening on Red Eye Radio. Eight six six ninety red eye is the telephone number if you want to get involved. 866 866- So I promised you this story. It is truly a microcosm of what you see happening from blue states to red states all across the United States. If any of you caught the debate between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom, which I thought Ron DeSantis did a fabulous job. I, from a presidential political standpoint, Donald Trump, unless something unforeseen by any of us occurs in the next several months, Donald Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. And I'm fully supportive of that. I was a Trump guy when he came down the escalator. And despite some of the wobbles in his administration, and there weren't that many wobbles in his administration that were self-inflicted, most of them were leftist coming after him. I was fully supportive of him. I understand that his personality is off-putting to some I'll take the policy and the personality over what we have right now any day of the week and twice on Sunday. That said, that doesn't mean to me that Ron DeSantis is a bad guy. I, I don't pit these individuals against one another in a manner that the left wants you to do. I, I, just, I just don't. I don't think selecting or choosing Donald Trump above Ron DeSantis or saying that Ron DeSantis is not the guy for this time right now necessarily means that Ron DeSantis is somehow, perhaps he is lesser than in a binary choice, but I don't believe that he is a non-starter down the road. Let's put it that way. So that said, if you saw the Ron DeSantis-Gavin Newsom debate on Fox News, hosted by Sean Hannity, it was one of the better pieces of political programming that I've seen in some time. That's my opinion. Um, I loved it. I thought that Gavin Newsom came off as smarmy and condescending. I did not believe that he had the best moment. I thought that Gavin Newsom would kind of wipe the floor with Ron DeSantis because DeSantis comes off as something of a, he's a little bit of a political nerd. And, you know, and I understand the boot thing that some of the Trump supporters want to go after him on it, whatever. Uh, but I thought DeSantis came well prepared. He had He had his facts behind him. And the debate was primarily over governance of two, very important states to our union, one being California, the other being Florida, of course. And you see a dramatic amount of flight out of California right now to the point that we're seeing a tremendous amount of that in my home state, my newly adopted home state of Tennessee. I've been here for about well a little over two years now. And you're seeing a lot of people coming in from California. They sell their condominiums to foreign entities out there. And they come over here and they buy cash and they drive up our housing prices. But that's a different subject for a different day. But they also bring their politics with them, which is, you know, beyond why you became a political leftist to begin with, beyond the debate about what is the proper or right ideology for the future of the United States. And I would argue that it is a governance of free people it is a fierce defense of liberty and independence of interference from certainly the federal government or even local governments government should interfere with your life only when absolutely necessary to protect your rights and liberties granted to you by god that's my belief and i would i would debate it with anyone that wanted to for the life of me i don't understand why you would flee a place that has failed you Because of the politics of that location, come to a new place and bring those same politics with you and then immediately demand that those politics become a part of your day to day life in the new place that you've moved to. One would think that you've moved You have left where you were and you've come to a new place for a reason. Now, maybe it's a job. Maybe there are exterior circumstances that led you to the place that you've come. But for the most part, people are choosing to come to places like Florida or places like Tennessee or certainly Texas is a great example. You choose to go there because these are better life opportunities for you and for your family. So I want to tell you a quick story about one of those one of those movements and how it's impacted a local community. It has to do with a a business called Roy's Meat Service. This is the best example, and it's real and it's happening as we speak, of leftist mindset moving into a community. Uh, And by the way, this is not a community. Nashville, Tennessee is not in and of itself conservative or red. While the state of Tennessee is quite red, Nashville is that little blue dot. There are two blue dots in the state of Tennessee, for those who aren't familiar. Nashville's, well, a little bit of Knoxville, but Nashville and Memphis primarily are your two blue dots in the state of Tennessee. And for the most part, we are bright red in every other area. So Roy's Meat Service is a small, local mom-and-pop business in East Nashville, a little community right, right off of downtown just less than a mile away from the state capitol, you'll find Roy's meat service. Roy's meat service started in the 1940s. It started as a mom and pop grocery store serving the people of that residential community. It has existed since the 1940s. It has been a business establishment since the 1940s man by the name of Jeff Roy bought it in 2015. Jeff Roy grew up in East Nashville. Jeff Roy, did a paper route in east nashville his father and grandfather worked in that community so much so that his father who was in the meat business wholesale meat business came to know the owner of the local grocery store that roy eventually bought in 2015 and roy who had all of his life sold meat to other businesses brought that business into the grocery store and wanted to continue serving his community in the way that this local grocery had served the community. We don't want food deserts in Nashville, Tennessee. Don't want food deserts in the city, right? That's what our leftist friends like to tell us. So not only did he sell various grocery items, it was sort of a pseudo convenience store grocery store, very small place. I've been there. He also began serving meat to the local community, something that he had done all of his adult life. That's what his business was before buying the community store that he then renamed Roy's Meat Service. He also started cooking prepared foods and selling prepared foods at the business in 2015. So for the last eight, almost nine years now, he's been selling food. He has done a robust business. People love him. He's a local community business, and all is right with the world. Two years ago, a home right beside Roy's Meat Service was purchased by a couple from California. That couple moved from California because one of the individuals took a job at Vanderbilt University. Between 2015 And 2021, the time that this California couple moved in behind Roy's meat service. I want you to guess the number of complaints that were issued to the city, code violations and other complaints between 2015 and 21 against Roy's meat service. I'll go ahead and give you the answer. The answer to that is zero. There were 0.0 complaints about Roy's meat service between 2015 and and 2021 since this california couple has moved in beside the business there have been 46 complaints against roy's meat service all of them coming from one household the california couple you see they don't like most anything about roy's meat service But the primary thing that they don't like, and they have now filed a lawsuit against this business, is the smoke. Roy smokes meat. And apparently, I am told, the couple that decided to buy a house right next to a location that sells and cooks meat, they're vegetarians. And they don't like the smell of meat. And so they're suing Roy because of the smoke. Smoke that predated them. Smoke that existed before they ever considered moving to the state of Tennessee. But it's not just about that. 46 separate complaints. Complaining about what? Complaining about their trash can not being in the proper location. Complaining about their fencing not being the proper height. Complaining about their lighting not being the proper dynamic. Complaining about anything and everything in an attempt to as stated by this California couple, to get Roy shut down. These woke individuals that not only choose to live a life of their... Look, everyone in the United States of America has every right in the world to live a life of their own choosing. That's not what this is about. This is about someone moving from another area, coming into a community where a business has existed since World War II and demanding that everything change because of their presence within that community. And they came to this city and they came to that community for a reason. They were leaving their other community for a reason. Yet, sadly, they can't recognize the reasons that they are leaving and how they are ultimately changing the community in which they moved to for the worse, not for the better. And I'm not making this up, by the way. This is a lawsuit that's been filed against this business because his business generates smoke from his cooking of the meats. And the argument is that this house is bothered by the smoke. And sadly, if this individual had spent the amount of positive energy in trying to handle the situation, because I've met Jeff Roy and and i bring this up not because necessarily it's local to me although i consider it to be the ultimate microcosm of the the chasm between liberalism and good conservatism in the united states of america today because if you had spent a modicum of energy in a positive way attempting to come to a resolution with this gentleman jeff roy of roy's meat service he would have done so in a heartbeat because he's that type of guy he's that type of community member i give you i give you one Further and quick example of this, because I think it's funny. I just think it's hilarious. Jeff Roy tells me a story. I went and visited his business after the lawsuit was filed, and I wanted to support him in any way that I could. And he told me this story. Since he bought the business in 2015, he has held an annual block party, a way to give back to the community that he serves. So once a year, he files the proper paperwork with the city, And they shut off the city block around Roy's Meat Service. And he gets out on his barbecue grills and on his smoker. And he smokes meat and he prepares other foods. And he gives the food away to the local community. A way to say thank you to the community that he has such a great relationship with. This couple that moved in from California found out that he was hosting the block party. And they filed a complaint with the city saying that he was not allowed to host a block party because block parties could only be hosted by a resident of the community, not a business within the community. And while the city had allowed him to host block parties in the past because this complaint was filed, city officials went to Jeff Roy and said, hey, they filed a complaint against you, and technically within the letter of the law, these people are correct here, You're not allowed to host a block party anymore. You can't give back to the community in the way that you've done for so many years. And so, you know, and this slays me. Jeff Roy's solution to this was he bought the house next to his business. He literally bought a piece of property next door to his business just so he could continue to host block parties for his community. That's one way to crack a nut. That's that's expending positive energy in a way that's going to benefit your community as opposed to these liberals from California expending massive amounts of negative energy trying to turn, seemingly, East Nashville into the crap hole that they left. That they left. It's just, it's baffling to me why this would be. Use positive energy in your life. Avoid the negative energy. It is Red Eye Radio. Matt Murphy and for Gary and Eric. 866-90-RED-EYE. If you want to get involved in the conversation, that's 866-907-3339. Back in a moment on Red Eye Radio.
1: Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
2: For Gary McNamara and Eric Harley on Red Eye Radio, so happy to be with you. Thank you for being with us. Whatever time you're able to give us, we're certainly appreciating it. All across America, thank you, thank you, thank you. Eight six six ninety red eye Eight six six ninety red eye A quick question. I, I think I'm missing something with regard to the Tucker Carlson, Kevin Spacey interview. We will perhaps get into this a little more in depth in the next hour on the show. And I believe what I am missing is is House of Cards. I think if you've not seen House of Cards, you cannot fully understand or appreciate. Now, I think I get the basics, and we will talk about it next hour. I think I have the basics down. But there was an interview conducted by Tucker Carlson, who's a great, great interviewer and is doing great work on the X platform. He conducted this interview with Kevin Spacey as Frank Underwood from the Netflix show House of Cards, a show that was canceled in 2017. We'll discuss coming up in just a few moments on the one and only Red Eye Radio. Matt Murphy and for Gary and Eric. Thank you for being with us. It is Red Eye Radio.
1: This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. It's Red Eye Radio. Talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. From the Uniden America Studios, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy, this is Red Eye Radio.
2: It is indeed Red Eye Radio, and I am indeed Matt Murphy. Thank you so much for being a part of your morning evening depending on where you might be all across the united states of america and all across the world we thank you for being a part of red eye radio gary and eric a much deserved week off they'll be back in 2024 i'm with you for the duration of the evening and i appreciate you being with us join in on the conversation if you so desire 866 red eye 866 I hail from Nashville, Tennessee, been here for about two years. Before then, in Birmingham, Alabama, for about 20 years. Uh, I'm a part of the team at Supertalk 99.7 WTN. You can hear me normally between noon and 3 every day, Monday through Friday. You're invited to uh, come and be a part of our world at 99.7 WTN.com. If you so desire, 99.7 WTN.com. You can also find me on a variety of social media platforms. Primarily, I land on the X machine, formerly known as Twitter, at Matt Murphy Show, there. That's at Matt Murphy Show. It is on X that I discovered this video, and I, you know, I feel like it's a lot of bad news, right? I mean, there's a lot of bad. It's a holiday season. We ought to pepper in some good news. We're talking about the hellscapes that have become American cities and the reasoning behind that. We discussed the conflict in the Middle East and some of the escalation that's going on within the Middle East as we speak. Literally as we speak, uh, we will discuss. Before the show is done, uh, the presidential contest, that will be 2024 and what we can expect out of that. And I'm very interested in your thoughts on how far that goes and what, if anything, some of the court cases involving the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, will have to do with the outcome of some of these presidential. I don't think it'll have anything to do with the primaries. I think Donald Trump, absent some unforeseen circumstances, will be the Republican nominee. What happens in the general remains to be seen. I expect that Trump would defeat Biden, but I have not believed that Joe Biden will be the nominee for a long time. And I could be proven wrong. They could hang with this dog, but I don't think so. I think they have an out and they're going to utilize the out. And I believe, I believe you may differ. I believe it has to happen before the convention. If it happens at the convention, I think that's That's too slick for even Democrats to go along with, even the lemmings that are the Democrats that would go and vote for Joe Biden in the November presidential election. I think that's a little too slick by far for those Democrats, even Democrats. More on that. Speaking of Democrats, I don't know Governor Jared Polis. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he's the governor of Colorado and he has a message this holiday season, a message that's being lampooned across the nation. If you've not heard, let's let's join Governor Jared Polis as he offers a message of the holiday spirit to the people of Colorado.
6: Right, here he comes.
2: Oh, it's so cringy. That's the uh, that is the mayor of Colorado as white as you can get, offering a spirited rendition. And I didn't make that up. That's it. I mean, you can.
6: Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad, Prospero Año y Felicidad.
2: You know, it's uh, it's one, it's one thing to hear it; it's another thing to see it. Uh, he he offers a little dance along with the song. That's it. By the way. It is his Twitter feed or X feed in Spanish, Gubernador uh, Jarad Palis, Feliz Navidad, Colorado. And he offers a spirited Feliz Navidad or Merry Christmas to the citizens in Colorado. It is as cringy as it gets. It's additionally cringy when you consider the amount of migrants that have surged into the state of Colorado under his administration. The Colorado governor is drawing not only humor, but also criticism for his Feliz Navidad holiday message as his state struggle. And this is what Democrats do. They're, They're like a bunch of Neros, right? They fiddle while their states or their communities burn in front of them. Polis In the video, he he dances, he delivers his own little a cappella rendition, as you just heard, of Jose Feliciano's 1970 hit, Feliz Navidad. He posted the video on his social media page under his official Spanish X account, where it was mostly either dismissed or lampooned. One ex-user commented, this is one of the worst things I have seen all year, who walked into your office and said that this was a good idea. Another one quipped, even the Latinos are cringing. Some even insinuated that Polis was pandering to the Latino. Well, of course he's pandering to the Latino community. That I think that's the entire point. This is ridiculous, and if you look uncomfortable doing it as I did watching it, what was the real purpose of this? Well, the purpose was the pander. It is the ultimate in cult- cultural appropriation what the governor of Colorado is doing. It is embarrassing, to say the least. But if you if you have the opportunity to go watch it, It'll, you'll get it. I hope that you get a kick out of it. Speaking of acts, I don't know that I fully understand the dynamics of the Frank Underwood-Tucker Carlson interview. I have enjoyed Tucker Carlson since his dismissal by Fox News. Obviously, he kind of went underground for a period of time. I would expect that that's a part of a contractual obligation to do so. But he resurfaced on the X platform, and he has bolstered his image. And frankly, I did not know that he could do this because Tucker Carlson was one of the go-to shows on Fox News for me. I don't have a lot of go-to shows on Fox News anymore. As a matter of fact, I find myself watching Fox less and less and less. I'll join them online on occasion, but I rarely watch their television programming anymore. And it's not even a reflection on them. It's just a reflection on my habits more than anything. Uh, There's not a lot of reason. I'll watch Gutfeld late into the evening uh, as I'm getting ready for bed. But other than that, uh, not a lot of Fox News watching for me. You know, if there's breaking news, sadly, if there's breaking news, I don't even go to Fox News for that any longer. But Tucker was absolute go-to watching for me when he was on air because I I think Tucker's one of the best commentators in the business. And he has delivered the same level of commentary on the X platform that he was attempting to deliver on Fox News. And he's doing it in the long format even better than he was on Fox News, in my opinion. And he is unfettered by certain encumbrances that he had shackled to him in the fox news platform and it seems as if one of his mo's nowadays on the x platform is interviewing anyone and everyone that people would suggest that he is not allowed to interview And the the Frank Underwood slash Kevin Spacey interview seems to be an extension of that. I don't know if you've seen any of it. I don't know that I fully understand it. I would guess I would lean on some of you that are familiar with House of Cards in a way that I'm not because I've never seen the show. But what I understand is that Kevin Spacey, while doing the show and even in the aftermath of the show for a year or two, he would present these Christmas Eve X posts or Twitter posts. It would be a Christmas message from Frank Underwood, and he would deliver them in character. And part of the character was a blend of reality and the fantasy of the fictional character of Frank Underwood. In the video, and if you've not seen it, well, oh, dear, I just lost it. Chrome is telling me my uh, my connection was not private, so I won't play it for you now. Uh, but in the video, Tucker Carlson has a conversation with Kevin Spacey as he is playing the character Frank Underwood. Although he does not name him at the beginning of the video, he suggests that perhaps Frank is coming back to offer himself to public service. Doesn't call him by name, but they engage in a conversation. And on occasion, you're not really sure whether Tucker Carlson is talking with the character Frank Underwood, who in the show House of Cards, it's my understanding he was a House of Representatives member and eventually became a vice president and then a president Or if you're talking with Kevin Spacey, as they discuss how he was canceled by the culture of the day. And Kevin Spacey goes so far as to say, you know what? I was ultimately exonerated, but people made judgments against me prior to seeing the full story and seeing the full level of evidence. Is Kevin Spacey talking about Kevin Spacey there? Talking about Frank Underwood? Who knows? But a lot of people are discussing the interview. I don't know that I fully get it because I never watched House of Cards. Sad, but true. All right. When we come back, what is the future of presidential politics in 2024? I want to break it down in the last days of 2023. Do you believe I'm going to ask a direct question of you at eight six six ninety red eye? Do you believe, yes or no, that Joe Biden will be the nominee for president of the United States for the Democrats? Now, you've got you've got Robert F. Kennedy out there running as an independent. You have the possibility of Joe Manchin entering the contest. So it very well could be a four-person race, not just a three-person race, with two individuals running on third-party platforms. One is an independent, Robert F. Kennedy, who was unceremoniously booted out of the Democrats' little party. And then you have Joe Manchin considering running in the no-labels party. Obviously, Donald Trump, and as I've said twice tonight, barring any unforeseen circumstances Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee whether Joe Manchin runs or not remains to be seen he's intimating that the possibility of run will be decided over the next month or so Kennedy could act as a third-party type Ross Perot-esque spoiler if he is in the race because there are enough people I mean if you get eight or nine percent voting for Robert F. Kennedy, it could tilt. And I'm not necessarily of the belief that it tilts for Trump in that dynamic because you have a percentage of Trump supporters that do appreciate Robert F. Kennedy's stand against the COVID-19, all, all of that that went down in 2020, 2021, 2022. But the the question for you, do you believe Joe Biden will be the Democrat? Party candidate for president of the United States. So far, they're sticking with him. But considering his mental and physical breakdown over the last year or so, just the last year, not the last five years, just the last year, I don't know that he can make it to November, much less four years beyond. Eight six six ninety red eye will get to your thoughts on whether or not Joe Biden will be the candidate for the Democrat Party in 2024 moving forward. And if not he, then who? 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric on Red Eye Radio.
1: Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
2: Red Eye Radio. Gary, Eric have the week off. Matt Murphy in for the dynamic duo. Thank you for being with us. 86690 Red Eye is the telephone number 86690 Red Eye. I ask the question and I'm curious your thoughts. Will or will not Joe Biden be the nominee in the 2024 election cycle and how do you see all of that playing out more broadly? Let's go first on Red Eye Radio to Kendall who joins us from Kansas. Kendall, thank you for the call and Welcome to Red Eye Radio. How are you, sir? Or ma'am?
7: Uh, first, to answer your question, yep. I, I don't think Joe Biden will be the nominee. I expect it to be Gavin Newsom. But uh, my, more to my point, I, I think uh, if I was advising Donald Trump, you know, looking at what Colorado Supreme Court did barring Trump from the ballot, I don't think I would appeal that. I'd let that go. I'd let that go until, unless it got to a state that matters, you know, like one of the swing states, you know, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, something like that. Then I would appeal it. But um, you, you think this through. If you're a Republican voter in Colorado, you're going to be angry as you're going to be mad as a hornet. And you're going to vote. And you're going to vote for anybody but a Democrat. You know, and the Democrats, that's going to drive down their vote because they can't vote against Trump, and they're probably a little bit uneasy about this whole thing, too. Um, I could see Kennedy winning a couple of those states, which it would be just as good for Trump as if he won it.
2: Oh, it's, an, it's an interesting theoretical exercise, the concept that if you allowed the Colorado Supreme Court ruling to stand... That you would enrage Republicans to the point, and you would depress Democrat turnout to the point. I guess y- your your point is that you would lead Colorado to potentially vote for a third party, like a, a Robert F. Kennedy, or oh, even uh, a even uh, a Joe I see that
7: happening. I, I I'm just a truck driver. I go to California every week. I could see I could see uh, Kennedy winning or coming close in California.
2: Well, I agree that um, it would it would be an intriguing legal theory. I think that you would see a lot of states follow suit, mostly leftist states, tr- attempting to sure. remove uh, Donald Trump from the ballot as quickly as they possibly could. Of course, timing would be an issue uh, at this stage.
7: You know, I, I would appeal it instantly if, like, one of the swing states did it. But uh, until a state that actually matters did it,
2: I'd leave it alone. Well, here's why... You don't do what you suggest, in my opinion, Kendall. And and once again, I think it's an interesting intellectual exercise, if nothing else. You don't not appeal because, quite simply, the ruling in Colorado is unconstitutional. And you're you're deni- the broader principle is that you're denying individuals in Colorado to the right to vote for a candidate of their choosing, without regard. Regard for the proper legal process by which you would preclude an individual from being on the ballot. I mean, it's the, it, it's almost, I understand the politics of what you're talking about, Kendall, and thank you for the call, and I appreciate you from Kansas. Bottom line is, it's the principle of the thing, and it's the constitutional principle that you have to stand on in this regard. You are appealing this not for Trump. I would argue you're appealing the matter for the voters of the state of Colorado. And I, I tend to agree with you on the Joe Biden front that Gavin Newsom would be a superior choice to a Kamala Harris. Although I don't know how you politically get through the vice president of the United States to get to Gavin Newsom. Let's say what Sally says about the matter out of Florida. Sally, thank you for calling Red Eye Radio. What's on your mind?
8: Well I think you're wonderful. You're fabulous. Wow well, fascinating you. mind. I've not not heard you before. Well, Merry Christmas.
9: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas
8: Week and a good new year. I I do believe I detest Michelle Obama. I hate to say it. There are very few people I detest, but the Obamas are among those. And because they have very bad plans for our country, our wonderful country, Obama started undermining this Many, about eight years ago. And I believe they'll, at the last minute, it's been a theory by some people, they'll throw in Michelle Obama in August. She won't have to say much or do much and uh, she's popular among a lot of left-wingers. I hope not. What do you think of that?
2: Well, I've certainly heard the political theory, Sally, and it frightens me to no end to think that Obama could get a a fourth term. You know, I I say a fourth term because I believe that Obama sycophants are really running the show right now. What gives me hope, and I hate to put it as simply as this, but I truly believe it. I don't know that the Obamas have the energy level to commit to – What you're talking about i i I think the obamas have gotten somewhat to use the phrase fat and lazy in in terms of i mean they they you know they're set up for life at this stage so i don't i don't believe they have a love of country that would propel them to expend the level of energy that it would take to run for and even if you come in as late as august uh, to run for and secure yeah. a victory like that. Uh, but it, it's an interesting, yeah. I, I want to explore this a little bit further, and I, I'm curious what the audience thinks about it. Thank you, Sally, for the call, and thank you for the kind words. You're very, you're very sweet. Michelle Obama? Do you believe that the Democrats would put up with that late of a move to move at the convention and install Michelle Obama for a fourth Obama term? Is that something that would happen? Let's discuss. It's Red Eye Radio, Matt Murphy in for Eric and Gary.
1: Red Eye Radio, from the Uniden America Studios. Now, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy.
2: What a joy to be with you in the absence of Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, spending some time with family and friends over the holiday season. It is Matt Murphy from Nashville, Tennessee, heard normally day-to-day, Monday through Friday, on Super Supertalk 99.7 WTN from noon until 3, and I am so pleased to be on Red Eye Radio, asking the question, kind of putting it out to the listening audience for the first time this evening, leaning on your your knowledge and information of the situation. Who do you think is going to be the Democrat nominee for president of the United States? I believe that it's turned... You know, I, I began this road back last March when I suggested that there was no way, considering the physical and mental limitations and the decline witnessed in real time by all of us that Joe Biden could manage to make it a year and a half to November of 2024. Nothing that has happened between then and now would sway me off of that opinion, except that time marches on. What I've long said and what we have to realize, the best that we're going to see of Joe Biden is what we see of him every day. What I mean by that is they know his handlers know Joe Biden. I don't know what he's like in, quote unquote, real life. I know this. The best that he's going to be is what we see on television. And it's not good enough. The best that we see of Joe Biden is the five or so minutes that we get of him on a daily basis, whether it's him walking out to Marine One or for some, some inexplicable reason, trotting out to Marine. You know, he does this little shuffle where it's like a uh, it's more than a walk, but it's not a run because he can't manage to run. But he, he's trying to indicate to all that are watching that he has some sort of vitality. And so off he goes, mumbling all the way. I just don't believe that Joe can manage it. The best that he is is what we see on a day-to-day basis. Can you imagine? And they work around the schedule that they have in front of him, making sure that they get him up for those moments, whether it's a five or 10 minute, you know, press conference, quote unquote, he doesn't really do actual press conferences, but whether it's, you know, five minutes in front of the cameras with, you know, the leader of another country sitting at his side in the White House, whatever it might be, whether it's standing outside of The White House answering a couple of questions before he hops on Marine one. That's the best he's going to be on a daily basis. And and it is oftentimes impossible to understand what he's saying. So I have a difficult time believing that this guy can make it through the rigors of a presidential campaign. They can hide him in the White House and have done a successful job hiding him in the White House. I do not believe they can hide him from the American voter come November. For these reasons, I believe it has to be somebody else. But if someone else, I I could be swayed off of this. And frankly, I would have thought that I would think that if it happens, it happens in January. And I would suggest that they, well, I, I I don't know that I would speculate as to the reasons that they give us. But I think it has to happen before August. Although I respect those of you that believe it happens at the convention as well. Bill is in Plano, Plano, Texas. Hey, Bill, welcome to Red Eye Radio. What's on your mind?
6: Matt, you're doing a great job. Thank, Thank you, man. You for covering. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Biden, who's pulling his strings? There's a theory going around that there's five or six trillionaires, maybe billionaires, that are really in charge, but who knows. point is, though, that his puppet strings are breaking. It's obvious, as you just said, he shuffles around, he tries to be energetic and with it, but he's not. Uh with regard to Michelle Obama versus the nuisance in California, you know, he's got great hair,
2: have to give that to him. All the superficials did. <laughs> That's funny. He does. I mean he's slick, yeah. He looks like a politician, doesn't he?
6: Oh, he does, and he sounds like it. Unless he plays basketball with the little Chinese children, then it looks pretty bad. But, you know, that happens. He fell down over that poor little Chinese child and uh, tried to recover, and it was a bad recovery. So thats I think that's who he is. But, see, he's connected with Pelosi very closely. I think he's the uh, son-in-law of a cousin. He's somehow related to her. So he has strong, strong connections. With regard to Michelle Obama, though, is possibly coming to the fore, that could be. But the thing of it is, she she has such an an incredible superiority complex. It's hard for her to envision being a real servant of the country. Remember the one episode where she said she was in the supermarket and somebody asked her to please reach up and get an item off a top shelf. And she said, and I heard this interview from her. I felt at that moment like I was a slave because I was being asked by this little white person to reach up and grab something. Oh, dear. I did the same thing. Yeah, really. It happened. It's, It's on record. I did the same thing to a black person the other day at Walmart. I couldn't reach up, and this big black fellow next to me, nice young man, I said, he looked at me, and he could see I was trying to struggle with something. I said, can you please reach that for me? He said, sure, man, no problem. He reached up, you know, and he was gone, and I said, thank you, and that was it. He wasn't my slave. And she has this superiority complex, though, where she does not need to serve, doesn't really want to. And that's going to be her downfall. The attitude comes across to the American people. And the people, we really do appreciate people like Kristi Noem of South Dakota, mm-hmm. who is very much in favor of Trump or uh Marjorie Taylor Greene did wonderful women and there's a rumor out now I don't know if you've seen it on the Epic Times that uh President Trump is thinking of asking possibly this summer of you know having a woman as a VP which might not be a bad move
2: Yeah I I I think it would behoove you know and uh, a lot to digest there thank you Bill for the telephone call I appreciate the kind words and I appreciate the comments couple of things. One, regarding Donald Trump and the possibility of selecting a female, I I do believe that it will behoove Donald Trump to select someone that is not a white male. And I hate to put it in those terms, but it's as simple as I can put it to you. That, sadly, we have reached a point where there are those that would not consider, put it this way, there are enough potential VP candidates, individuals like a a Tim Scott from South Carolina, an individual like a, a Christy Nome from South Dakota. Um, there are enough of those individuals who are household names that would make it easy for Donald Trump to select a female or... In the case of Tim Scott, African-American male. That would serve well as a vice presidential candidate. But I do believe that it would benefit the Republicans and benefit the Trump ticket to select someone that is not white and male. And I hate it because I am very fiercely defensive of best person for the job, regardless of color, regardless of gender. But we live in a day and age where if you do the Mike Pence route again, not Pence himself, but that type of selection, you are opening yourself up to further criticism. Now, on the Michelle Obama front, I do not believe that Michelle Obama has the desire or the energy to be president of the United States. Now, if we're saying that Barack Obama is going to select Michelle as a handpicked Fourth term, if you consider the Biden administration to be a third term of Barack Obama, then this would be number four, three or four, depending on your point of view on it. I think if Barack Obama wants to pick a replacement, he's going to pick someone that wants a little more. That's going to have a bit more energy in the job. I just don't see that Michelle Obama fits that bill. I understand why people gravitate toward her. I'm fascinated with the idea that you would jump Kamala Harris who idolizes Barack Obama to get to another African-American female in the form of Michelle. In the meantime, Bobby is in Knoxville and he joins red eye radio. Hello, Bobby. Welcome to the show.
10: Oh, sir, you're doing a good job. I got in right on time because I can answer your question.
2: Talk to me, man.
10: Of, all right. So uh Mama, how did she get to be vice president?
2: <laughs> did, okay. Do you really do you, you really I, want I, me to I, do you really want me to answer that question? It has to do with I, Willie Brown, by the well, way. a lot of people say that. That's how she moved
10: her political career. But the reality of it is, um, uh, and as you were saying just then, his fourth term, it would be his fifth, because he never left when Donald Trump was in there. When he started all the investigations under his under his term on Donald Trump, everything that went on after that has always been in the control of Barack Obama. It's the only way that the FBI, the DOJ, all the deep staters, which most people are confused, that just means they weren't elected into their job that they are uh, hired into their job, and they still uh, mess with uh, policy. Um, Barack Obama bought a house one mile from the White House after his term. And he's never left. Yes, he did. And he's never left. He's never left control. So he's the one that, I mean, Joe Biden just pretty much answers to him. He would rather be behind the scenes than in front of the scenes anyway, because he can control anything everything so to answer your question about kamala harris so one thing about barack obama he despises joe biden joe biden was an embarrassment to him joe biden to him is just was just a bad mark on his presidency he 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 messed everything up he couldn't do anything right and kamala harris is in there because Barack Obama put her there. And the biggest reason is, is that so when Joe Biden had his presidency, he would have a vice president that he would be embarrassed of, that would cause him problems, that, that basically to put some of the same mojo on him that he put on Barack. Well, it,
2: it is a it is a fascinating dynamic that, you know, whoever pulled the strings on that, and, and thank you, Bobby, for the call. I appreciate you out of Knoxville. Thank you. Whoever pulled the string, I, I wouldn't suggest that it was solely Barack Obama's decision, although I think he had a tremendous amount of influence in the Biden administration and continues to have a, a tremendous influence in the Biden administration. We have long seen... And this is a broader conversation that I can get into in the next couple of minutes. But we have long seen the Democrats campaign on identity politics, meaning they subdivide different groups and convince those subdivided groups that the other guy is against you. I am for you. Therefore, you must vote for me based on the color of your skin or how you identify. But now they've begun governing in that way, too. And when you govern based on identity politics, you have to check identity markers. And has not Joe Biden done that? He did it with Kamala Harris. He proclaimed long before he selected her that he's going to select an African-American female. Well, you pigeonhole yourself into only one of two or three or four different choices amongst millions of people who are qualified for the post. And he he's done it again and again and again during his administration. And, and because of that, you're left with a vice president that comes off to most Americans as a cackling fool. At least Joe has an excuse. He's old. What's her excuse? Which is why most people, when we do this exercise, and I've done it from time to time on my radio show in Nashville, when you ask the question, if not Joe, then who? Nobody. And I'm fascinated by this. Nobody says Kamala. Because we know what would happen if Kamala Harris was the nominee. And the Democrats do too. And they're beginning to understand what's going to happen if Joe Biden is the nominee. Gary and Eric are out. It is you. It is I. It is Red Eye Radio. I am proud to be with you. This is Matt Murphy back in a moment on Red Eye Radio. It is Red Eye Radio. Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric uh, this morning. Thank you for being with us. Eight six six ninety red eye Several of you calling in, discussing the possibility of a different candidate for president of the United States on the Democrat side of the ballot in the general election, and we will continue that discussion. Plus, I want to put to bed this concept that Donald Trump could not run with Ron DeSantis. I don't think this is going to happen, but... Because Ron DeSantis has consistently denied that he would consider a vice presidential possibility. However, there are several that would suggest that they could not do that because they both reside in the state of Florida. It's a little more complex than that. We'll get into it momentarily from now. Also, your telephone calls at 866-90-RED-EYE. This is Red Eye Radio.
1: This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Unit America Studios. For Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy. This is Red Eye Radio.
2: It is Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio. Thank you to Gary, Eric. Thank you to Brian and Alan and the rest of the crew. I appreciate all of you making this possible, and I thank you especially for listening to Red Eye Radio tonight. I've enjoyed it. I've so enjoyed it this holiday week, and truly it has become a holiday week, and so I will wish you an extended Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Eight six six ninety red eye is your telephone number. If you involve yourself in the show to the point, that you want to have a direct conversation, that's the way to do it. 86690 Red Eye, 907 3339 We'll extend the discussion started last hour regarding the possibility of a different presidential candidate on the Democrat side of things. Uh the, the general consensus is that Joe Biden cannot manage to find himself to November. Cannot manage to find himself on the ballot And one would expect that the powers that be amongst the Democrats will select a different candidate. So that question is on the table. Secondarily, who would, if we are to believe that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, who potentially would be his vice presidential running? Made a lot of conversation about that. I do not believe that Ron DeSantis is in the discussion. However, I could be persuaded otherwise. I'm open to other concepts and ideas on that front. That in mind, uh, the the numbers really tell a stark story about Donald Trump's popularity amongst the Republican Party voters. And Donald Trump has an incredible lead, an insurmountable lead, frankly. And I understand that you don't count your chickens before they hatch and all of that. Uh, but looking at the polling data, it would take something dramatic and unforeseen in order for this to change as much as it would need to change for me to predict that any other person other than Donald Trump would be the Republican nominee. So that's where we are on the Republican side of things. However, a lot different on the Democrat side of things and a lot of suggestion that Gavin Newsom is lying in wait, ready to go. I I think Ron DeSantis said as much during their debate with Sean Hannity several weeks ago on Fox News, which was very entertaining. Uh, I'll say that I thought Ron DeSantis did very well. And I like Ron DeSantis a lot. I do not believe that you necessarily have to pit Ron DeSantis against Donald Trump to select one or the other. In other words, pick the one that you like. It's time. The time for choosing is now. And I've long said you don't have to pick until twenty twenty four because once you pick, you start pushing against the other guy. And I don't believe that Ron DeSantis is a bad guy. I think his time will potentially come in presidential politics. I just don't believe that it's in twenty twenty four. What say you? Eight six six ninety red eye, that's eight six six 907 3339. Let's talk with Steve who is out in Arizona. Steve has a thought on all of this. Steve, welcome to Red Eye Radio. Thank you.
11: Yeah, how you doing? And Happy New Year. Uh, happy New Year to you too, yeah, sir. I think, I think that would I think Trump's smart though and, and because DeSantis has the numbers and I think it's kind of a prelude when you with that uh, you know, with that debate like you said with Newsom and uh, DeSantis That's kind of, I think that's getting us ready for that. And I do, I just think that Trump would be smart to pick DeSantis just because he's, uh, you know, he thinks along the same lines. And it's going to basically be Florida against California. You know, I just see it. And then with uh, Newsom, I think if he was smart, he would pick uh, Joe Manchin for his vice president. That way he could pull some of that Republican his way a little bit, you know, his way a little bit of the, the, but he's probably not smart enough to do that. So he'll, it'll probably be, uh, I think it'll be, uh, Newsome and Harris, I think, (laughs) unless, uh, he can pick somebody else. You know, I, I don't know. What do you think? That would be amazing. I don't know.
2: I don't know how you could manage to pull off leapfrogging Kamala Harris and keeping her as your vice presidential running mate. Now, I consistently and I and I appreciate the thought process here and and thank you Steve for the call. Fairly consistently, Ron DeSantis has for the last 6 months when asked this question said the same thing that he's not a number 2 guy and that he has no intention and would not serve as a vice presidential candidate with Donald Trump. He said it back in July he said it again in September, he said it again in October, and he has said it just last month that it's not something that he would consider. Now, that's something that presidential candidates say. Understand, um, I remember I'm well, I don't quite remember it, but I'm a student of history enough to know that during the 1980 presidential election. Now, I was seven years old, but Ronald Reagan was running against a George H.W. Bush, amongst others. And you know, remember George H. W. Bush called Ronald Reagan's economic plan voodoo, e- voodoo economics, voodoo economics. And they had a fairly contentious early primary season. But once Reagan had dispatched of all comers, he eventually selected the establishment guy. Reagan was kind of the outside guy, and he and George H. W. Bush was more of an establishment guy in D.C. politics, and he selected that establishment guy to be his running mate. Now there are some that have said that the caller's suggestion, I think it was Steve that was calling from Arizona, uh, that, um, that the Constitution prohibits Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump running together because they hail from the same state. So the question is, does the U.S. Constitution prevent that? And the answer is no. And I've studied this enough that I can emphatically tell you that the Constitution does not prevent candidates from running for president and vice president if they come from the same state. It doesn't do it. Now... It does become a little problematic if that were to occur. Now, typically, it's one of these things that doesn't happen because it. if I am the presidential candidate and I'm, you know, from the state of Tennessee, for example, I live in Nashville. It would behoove me to pick someone from outside of the state of Tennessee because geographically I want to be more inclusive and I want to select, you know, you want to be strategic in your state selection. One time that this did come up was the election of George W. Bush in 2000 when he eventually selected, you know, remember, he picked Dick Cheney, kind of an insider, to be his point man in finding him the rice, right vice president. And Dick Cheney quite literally came back to him some months later and said, Mr. President, we've examined the situation. And this is my horrible Dick Cheney impersonation, by the way. Mr. President, we've examined the situation and we we found that the the number one pick for vice president for you is, well, me. Well, Dick Cheney at the time lived in Texas. George W. Bush lived in Texas as well, which could be problematic. While there is no prohibition for a president or a vice president to come from the same state, it becomes problematic for a very specific reason. It is impermissible for an elector to select two candidates from, The same state that they reside in. They can pick one, but not two. It's a little bit confusing because of some rules changes that have come post Constitution with regard to how we choose electors and how those electors choose a president and a vice presidential candidate. Let me go, let me go through this as quickly as I possibly can and I'll try to be as, I'll try to confuse you as least as possible. So, As a practical matter, it might be a bad idea, but could Donald Trump, who lives in Florida, select Ron DeSantis, who also lives in Florida as his vice presidential running mate? Yes, but in doing so, they could potentially prevent Florida electors from counting toward their vote total. Because it is impermissible for the voters of the electors in Florida to pick both the president and the vice president who now run as a team to select them. That's according to the Constitution, Article 2, Paragraph 3, which states, I don't get too nerdy on you here, but I looked this up, the electors shall vote for two persons of whom one at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. So what this prohibits is an elector from casting both his or her votes for president and vice president from the same state in which the elector lives. What it was designed to prohibit, and understand, this was written at a time when We elected a president, and the number two person automatically became vice president. And every elector selected two, their number one choice and their number two choice. Well, the Constitution says you can't pick two people from the same state that you're in. What it was designed to prevent was to force electors to look at a state that wasn't their home state. So you didn't want some schmuck from Virginia just picking a couple of people from Virginia because they know them. You got to pick you can pick one from Virginia, but you got to pick somebody else from a different state that you live in. Well, what this would do as a practical matter is if you have a closely contested presidential election, it could put the votes from your home state in peril if your running mate is also from your home state. Does all of that make sense? Does all of that make sense? I hope so. Now, the 12th Amendment changed it a little bit because now, according to the 12th Amendment, um, it addresses some of the confusion around the Electoral College and the vice president was put on a separate ballot to president of the United States. And now the president and the vice president run as a tandem or a team as opposed to running separately. And they're voted for as a tandem, as a duo. I know it's confusing, but I hope it made, well, as much sense as possible let's see let's go to bill who is in chicago bill thank you for your call welcome to red Eye radio i'm glad you came on board hello
10: hi how you doing
2: i'm doing well bill
10: uh my my question was what your thoughts about mansion running for president only because of his past voting record of making a few republicans happy along the way
2: yeah, I think a Joe Manchin campaign would be a bigger fly in the ointment for Donald Trump than a Robert F. Kennedy third-party run. I think Joe Manchin could upset the apple cart, and, and, and I think it could go really either way. I don't know. I've not seen any polling data as to who he would pull more from, but I think Joe Manchin would be more appealing – as a third party candidate than even Robert Kennedy and Robert Kennedy's gotten quite a bit of play. I've, I think, I think he could hurt Trump. I think so too. And thank I, I don't, I, and, th- and thank you very much for the call bill. I don't know that he hurts. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to come off half cocked here. Um, who does Joe Manchin hurt more now? At for, On first blush, you would obviously say, well, he hurts Joe Biden more, if Biden is the nominee, because Joe Manchin is a Democrat. But Joe Manchin is not a California Democrat. Joe Manchin's not a New York City Democrat. Joe Manchin is a West Virginia Democrat. A West Virginia Democrat is more conservative than Kevin McCarthy, who called himself a Republican. Until he quit and resigned. This is Matt Murphy in for Gary and Eric. More calls in a moment discussing presidential politics. I mean, why not? It's almost 2024. It's an election year. It's going to be a wild year. We'll continue the conversation next. Matt Murphy on Red Eye Radio. Brought to you by Hotshot Secret.
12: Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at J.J. Keller. And I'm here to share a tip on roadside inspections. Once a roadside inspection is completed, the officer will close it out, which involves the officer writing or typing up the report. The more the officer found during the inspection, the longer this will take. If violations were discovered, most officers, as a courtesy, will explain the violations to the driver. If there were any out-of-service violations, the officer will normally explain what must be done to get the out-of-service order lifted. Drivers need to be very attentive during this part of the inspection. The driver also needs to read and understand the complete inspection report. After receiving the inspection report, the driver has 24 hours to get the roadside inspection report to the motor carrier. If the driver will not be returning to a company facility within the next 24 hours, the driver needs to know to get it on the way to you via email, mail, or fax within 24 hours. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller & Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com.
1: Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE.
2: are off this week a much deserved week of rest and relaxation during the christmas holiday and matt murphy is in on red eye radio thank you for being with us tonight and this morning eight six six ninety red eye eight six six ninety red eye discussing presidential politics in advance of the 2024 election season who will be the nominees obviously donald trump is going to be the nominee in the republican party unless something dramatic happens unforeseen by any of us will joe biden be his running uh, opponent? Will he be the running uh, the candidate for the Democrats? It remains to be seen. In my opinion, I don't think it happens, uh, but we shall see. Many of you wanting to weigh in on this. Let's go to Paul. Uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Who is next? Uh, I'll tell you what, Steve, let's go to you in Little Rock. Steve, thank you for calling Red Eye Radio. Good evening. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you?
7: Fat and happy, of like a seagull with a French fry.
2: <laughs> Better than I deserve, my, sir. My what's pick, on what's on your mind?
7: My my pick for running mate for uh, President Trump would be Candace Owens, and then we can pull a page from the Democratic playbook and say, if you don't vote for them, you're a racist and a sexist. You voted against a black woman.
2: Yeah, but those rules don't apply to Republicans, man. They changed the rules with Republicans with regard to candidates that are African-American or female. After all, I mean, Tim Scott got no bonus points for being an African-American from South Carolina, did he?
7: No, sadly, no.
2: You know, I've heard the, you know, being uh, living in Nashville, Tennessee, and the fact that Candace also lives in Nashville, maybe I'm hearing it a little bit more than others, uh, but I've heard her name tossed about as a possibility for some sort of I don't know vice presidential selection and I just don't see it I mean I understand that Candace is a smart person I understand that Candace has a lot of very interesting and and intelligent thoughts on the political process but she's shown no indication that she wants to put her hat into the ring and secondarily I can think of plenty of people that I would put in front of Candace. So, I mean, I guess the only reason, and maybe this is what Steve is reflecting on at A Little Rock, the only reason you would place Candace in front of some of those other candidates is because she is African-American and female. And now you're playing the identity politics game, and I think that's a losing game, ultimately. Now, this is coming from a guy that has said, and I know what I said earlier, And I maintain that, that I think it would behoove Trump to select someone that is not male and white. I don't know that it's Candace Owens, though. Tom is in Michigan. He joins us next on Red Eye Radio. Hello, Tom. How are you, sir?
9: Matt, thank you for taking the call. Of course. My topic is, okay, assuming that we do actually have an election in 2024, okay, and there are no unforeseen circumstances that arrive, what I think that you would actually get is they're going to use this rotted bowl of mashed potatoes that we have for a president right up as long as they possibly can and then pull the rug out from under them, something like what they did to Bernie Sanders, okay, with the delegates where they award the delegates but what I think you're getting is Pelosi's nephew Gavin Newsom and possibly Michelle O as a vice president, where she could just kind of be there. What that causes, okay, As Pelosi and Obama still continuing to run the country?
2: Well, there's no question, and, and thank you for the call out of Michigan, Tom. I appreciate you on Red Eye Radio. There's no question that Gavin Newsom is setting himself up and running something of a shadow campaign. Now, he has steadfastly said that he has no interest in running for president of the United States, but I believe... That is contingent on Joe Biden being in the race. If Joe Biden manages to continue in the race, then Gavin Newsom will sit idly on the sidelines and bide his time and wait his turn. However, if Joe Biden cannot improve his polling numbers, there will be a reason that Joe decides not to run, quote unquote. And if that reason comes about. Here comes Gavin Newsom, and I think he is clearly the front runner at that stage. This is Red Eye Radio. Thank you for being with us, Matt Murphy, and for Gary and Eric. Back in a moment.
1: Red Eye Radio, from the Uniden America Studios. Now, for Gary McNamara and Eric Harley, Matt Murphy.
2: It is Matt Murphy. It is Red Eye Radio. I appreciate all of you allowing me to be a part of your morning. Thank you so much. It has been a ton of fun, and we still have plenty to go. I promised you the story about the Tesla factory worker that was, quote-unquote, attacked by a robot. You heard me right. Like a scene out of a movie. We will get to that story. Plus, some of the companies that you may not have known went into bankruptcy over the last year. Uh, We say goodbye to some of the better known. Look, some of these names, I would have never believed declared bankruptcy and said goodbye and shuttered their doors in 2023. But we'll get to that in a moment. Right now, talking presidential politics, I'm looking at a latest national poll. And I don't normally talk about national polls when it comes to presidential elections. Because presidencies are not decided nationally. They're decided state by state. And it's all about the different states and how you cobble together the electors that get you to the number that you need to win the election. 270, I think it is. So I don't normally do national polls, but I do think it's significant that Donald Trump is now up four points nationally over Joe Biden in a head-to-head matchup. And that holds up even if Robert F. Kennedy is considered within the race. Now, Joe Manchin is not considered in this race because he's not declared anything. I think you might change that dynamic a little bit. But the idea that Donald Trump continues to be up the amount that he is, will the Democrats put all their eggs in the Jack Smith basket? Will the Democrats actually depend on a jury in a state or a jury in the District of Columbia determining the outcome of the election to a certain degree? Meaning, are they dependent on the idea that Donald Trump would be convicted of one of these, no pun intended, Trumped up charges against him, or would they pull the trigger on Joe Biden? And I believe that that remains to be seen. I think that the powers that be could step in, and regardless of ego or personal desires, they would convince Joe to step aside and allow a younger buck to run. Now, Alex has a different idea about what type of buck would be running in the absence of a Joe Biden. Let's get Alex on Red Eye Radio out of Philadelphia. Hello, Alex.
13: Hey, I'm really enjoying what you're doing. You're Thank very you. good at what you do. Do you have like a home base, a weekday show somewhere?
2: I do. Monday through Friday, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, on Super Talk 99.7 WTN from noon until 3. Tune in. Tune in, Alex. Thank
13: you so much. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, we're really enjoying it out here. Well, okay, ready? Drum roll! Hillary's coming back. Oh, because... come on, Alex. We were doing so well. <laughs> she is She is already involved in this hostage thing. They're getting her name out there. As, I think she's going to try to pull some kind of a, uh, I don't know what you would call it. She's going to be maybe hailed a hero by Democrats or something she does. And I also think, because I'm a Trump supporter, but I believe that the Democrats have piled so much on Trump's plate that he's not going to be able to run. It'll be Nikki Haley and Hillary. Hillary, I hate to say it, but reality is reality. Hillary will clean up. I just,
2: Hillary is so unlikable.
13: Can I tell you why I think she's going to clean up? Yeah, sure. She still has a chip on her shoulder that she thinks she won in 2016. And I think there are many, many Democrats who feel that she's owed a
2: second chance. I I don't know. I I, I do believe that she has the chip on her shoulder. I would agree with that, Alex. And thank you for your call. I appreciate you out of Philadelphia. And you're very kind, to say the kind words. And by the way, you can find me, 997WTN.com, if you want to find out more about me, biography and whatnot. 997wtn.com you can also find me on social media at matt murphy show on the x machine hillary clinton what an unlikable human being and a definition of someone who rose beyond the level of their competency and to the point that she demonstrated her unlikability so much so that a political neophyte Now, a known commodity, at least, in terms of name, ID, and whatnot, in Donald Trump. I mean, think of the unprecedented nature of Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton. And I remember it as if it were yesterday. I'm elephantine on these things. That we were told up to the point of election night and beyond that there's no way that this dunderhead out of New York via Florida could beat the juggernaut that was Hillary. And you're right. In the aftermath of her defeat, she was unaccepting of the defeat, declared that Russia beat her, that it was not Donald Trump. And that began the Russian collusion hoax that lingered over the Trump presidency for two and a half years. I just think she is a she's a two time loser. She is. What is she? Seventy. Five years old, 76. I mean, she's not much younger than Joe Biden. I just think that if you pull the trigger on crazy sleepy uncle Joe, that you would go decidedly younger than Hillary Clinton. I under the Clinton juggernaut does not have the gravitas that it once had because of that defeat. I mean, look at the Clinton Foundation, for example. Hundreds of millions of dollars rolled into the Clinton Foundation until she was defeated as president, as presidential candidate. And then all of that money suddenly dries up. Does that mean that the Clinton machine, the Clinton cabal, does not continue with its power and influence in D.C.? It most certainly does. I just don't think that power and influence is what it was even four years ago. Even four years ago. So maybe I'm being naive, Alex. Maybe I'm whistling past the graveyard, but I do not believe that Hillary Clinton has it in her to run or certainly has it in her to win The presidency, I would I would be predisposed to believe more in a Michelle Obama run for the Democrats than I would believe in a Hillary Clinton run. Paul is in Boise, Idaho. Paul, welcome to Red Eye Radio. Thank you for the call, sir.
8: Thank you for taking my call, Matt. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you with your last comment there. I believe in order for Obama to get a fourth term. It's going to be Michelle that runs as president. I don't know who's going to run with her, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced to that because Joe is on his way out, and I think I think they've already made the decision. I think the Democratic elites have already made up the, their minds about doing that, but they're keeping it as a secret weapon. Basically, um, another secret weapon they have, and I believe they're going to not they're not going to hesitate to use it is AI. I think they're going to be able to pledge the numbers for the polling. It doesn't matter whether it's state, like you were talking about, or federal. They're, they're not going to play fair. They haven't yet, and they're not going to. So I think we've got to be on guard about how we're going to be able to combat AI and their abuse of it to be able to swing the election in their favor. I mean, and we I'm, obviously, I'm,
2: I, I, I'm curious about this, Paul. We obviously saw how the Democrats were willing to swing an election using COVID as it was almost, you know, in uh, in sports, they talk about that pit, the pick play. You see it in basketball. You see it in, in football when receivers run routes and they pick off the defender so that another receiver gets open. I believe that they utilized right. COVID as a pick, as a way to, essentially steal an election from Donald Trump. And they did so legally yeah. and in some cases against the constitutions of the various states in which these elections were conducted. Pennsylvania is in my mind when I say that. that. That said, how do you believe they can use, I'm curious about this, AI to their advantage? What do you think?
8: It's basically smoke and mirrors and, and, and just out and out lying. I mean, they also use Hunter. The hunter laptop against us when we knew that it was real and that it was valid they used the fbi to to make the conclusion that it was that it was phony that it was russian disinformation so if they can do that and swing the the 2020 with the help of that and the help of anthony Blinken to get those 51 signatures on there they'll stop at nothing we could whip them in a fair fight but they're not going to fight us in a fair fight You know that. Well they we're running out of time. I think we're running out of time to figure out just exactly how they're gonna come at us.
2: Well the big well I would agree with this, Paul, that if we have not and and I don't classify myself as a Republican, I don't I like to say I don't you know, I, I go to the old Groucho Marx line. I do not belong to any group that would have me as a member. I am not a part of the Republican Party. I've never classified myself as a Republican. I am a classical libertarian, small L libertarian, meaning I don't belong to the political party, but I believe in the philosophy of governance, that government serves best when it serves least. It allows people to their own devices to succeed or fail through their own merit. And the government should only intervene If there are those that are attempting to prevent me of my life and liberty through force or fraud. That said, I vote Republican. I've long supported the Republican Party because I believe that they are more in tune and in line with the purpose and the and the course set about by the Founding Fathers so so many years ago. All of that to say, my advice to the Republican Party would be simple. If you have not learned From 2020, then you get what you deserve. If we as an American people have not learned to insist on honest and fair elections from the 2020 election cycle to today, then we're going to get what we deserve. I don't fault anyone for what happened in 2020 because it was such an unprecedented concept that we would hold an election and that we would change broadly change the rules of elections in a variety of different states in a variety of different ways because of the excuse-making surrounding COVID. Well, fool me once and shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. If we allow this to happen again, all of that's on us. And we get what we deserve in that respect. We have to shore up some of these election protocols on our own. Now, the liberal states are going to do what liberal states do. But they're lost causes for the most part anyway. What well, we have to concern ourselves with in presidential politics, if you, want, if you want to get down to where the goats can graze on it, here's where you have to, this is, these are the states you have to protect. You have to protect, uh, protect Michigan. You have to protect Wisconsin. You have to protect Pennsylvania. You have to protect Ohio. You have to protect Georgia. Am I missing any? Virginia? Eh, maybe Virginia. There are your battleground swing states. Protect them. And protect the election processes that protect them. And don't allow what happened in 2020 to happen again. Moreover, more so than any sort of voting machine irregularities, what concerned me more than anything was the allowance for extracurricular voting activity to go on and using COVID as an excuse to allow that to happen. I'm talking about vote harvesting. I'm talking about ballot harvesting. I'm talking about mail-in ballots. I'm talking about allowing those mail-in ballots to come in after the correct postmark to date and commingling those ballots that were illegally cast with those that were legally cast. And once they were commingled, there was nothing you could do about it. And that happened all across this country. Primarily, it was happening in Georgia and it happened in Pennsylvania as well. And Michigan we cannot allow those things to happen again if we do all of this all of this that we've been discussing tonight is nothing but an exercise in futility if we don't put our feet on the ground and commit ourselves to insisting on properly run elections then none of the rest of this matters Because the other side, and the previous caller whose name I just lost for some reason, he is exactly right. If the fix is it, I mean, none of this matters if we allow the fix to be in because the other side will lie, cheat, and steal. The central difference that I have observed in 25 years of acting as a commentator on the radio, and look, I'm just a guy with a microphone. My job is to entertain you, and I do so through education, information, information, And, you know, a little bit of fun along the way. But in my 25 years of doing this, if I've learned one thing, Republicans and Democrats, there are a lot of similarities between Republicans and Democrats, sadly. It's one of the reasons that the phrase the uniparty has come to popular parlance, right? I mean, we talk about the uniparty now. I remember the old uh, George Wallace line from back in Alabama days. That there's not a dime's worth of difference between Republicans and Democrats. Well, I do think that there's a dime's worth of difference, not much more. The biggest difference between the two, for the most part, not not 100%, for the most part, Republicans want to play by the rules. Democrats don't give one damn about the rules. My name is Matt Murphy, and this is Red Eye Radio. Gary and Eric taking a much deserved week off. They'll be back in twenty twenty four. Matt Murphy with you on Red Eye Radio. I've been enjoying it. The conversation has been lively, revolving around presidential politics. We'll continue said same conversation. 86690 Red Eye, 866907-3339. We'll also tell you the story of a I, I love the framing of this story. I believe the framing of the story is a little bit movie quality and not based out of reality. But I'll give you the headline, and we'll tell you the details coming up in the final hour. Tesla factory worker attacked by robot that dug its claws into the back and arm of the worker. Attacked. Dug claws. More to come. It is Red Eye Radio. Matt Murphy with you back in a moment.